very, there's some very puzzling uh, questions. First of all, why is the whole mitzvah, the Mishkan, repeated again with all the details? That's the first question. The second question is, uh, why does it begin with Shabbos? The first thing in the Pasha, Shabbos. Why Shabbos put up front? Because back in Truman to Tzava, we had all the details of the Mishkan the first time. They had the Torah put Shabbos all the way at the end when it finished all the details. Truman to Tzava, it then speaks about keeping Shabbos and Kisisa, getting up Kisisa, but uh, here is the reverse: first Shabbos and then the details of the Mishkan. So why that, why that flip? And the third question is: in the midst of Shabbos, there's a surprise because here the Torah says for the first time, "Don't make a fire on Shabbos." It's a very, very strange thing because. Mitzvah Shabbos was in the tenth commandment. So did those ten commandments was mentioned quite a few times already in the Torah. Never mentioned the special favor of making a fire, and here it does. So these are like three big questions: Why the repeat? Why the, uh, the emphasis on Shabbos at the beginning? Why the mention of the fire? Okay. So, and then there's a general question, which is not necessarily about this week, but general, the, the, the Gemara says that because the Mitzvah of Shabbos is mentioned quite a few times, when they have the Mitzvah of the Mishkan, the Torah is trying to tell me, tell us that the Mishkan was not built on Shabbos. All the work of the Mishkan ceases on Shabbos. In fact, the whole thing of Shabbos is the 39 malachas of Shabbos, which you're not supposed to do, adafka, those things which we do in the Mishkan. That the Gemara has a lot, a lot of things from this connection, that we don't do the work of building the Mishkan on Shabbos, and this is the model for everything which is prohibited on Shabbos, the 39 malachas, all 39 were done in the Mishkan, and that's what you're not supposed to do on Shabbos, you have to understand why is this connection between Mishkan and Shabbos, and Shabbos is superior to Mishkan? Okay. So the, I first I want to discuss this, uh, this, this question, Shabbos and Mishkan. Okay. okay, so the thing is that both, uh, well, you can actually say Mishkan is, is a base of Mikdash place and time. And Shabbos is a basic Mikdash in time. So, and basically the Mishkan is in place where the Shekhinah is, is revealed. The Shekhinah comes, uh, people can experience Hashem's presence in the Mishkan and the basic Mikdash. And then Shabbos, outside the basic Mikdash, you don't we experience Hashem's presence so much. It's hidden in nature and in the world, but it's, it's there, but hidden not so much. In Mishkan, Beis Amigdash, it's much more physical 
So, the, the Hashem's presence is Hashem's presence is, is is always there, but it's not perceived as much, not nearly as much as it is in the Mishkan of Mikdash. That's in terms of the place. And also in terms of time, we have the six days of the week, Hashem is here, but we don't experience it so much. But on Shabbos, we definitely experience Hashem's presence. Okay. So basically, what he says is that there's a concept of unity, that the concept that Hashem is united with the world. So, Hashem made the world. So, it's, like, it's a very, very hard uh, question, this question, but anyway, it's, uh, and I'm, we're not going to give the full solution to the question. The question is, Hashem created the world, but same time, Hashem is united with the world. So by creating, creating the world, seems that it's, there's Hashem and there's the world. So that this is disunity. On the other hand, Hashem is united with the world. Okay, so the whole book of Tanya, that's his biggest issue. How do you figure out this paradox? The unity and the disunity. See, there's a whole called the question of Yichud, the question of the unity of God with the creator of the universe. So it's a very, very, very complicated question. Could be exactly the most fundamental question of Kabbalah. The Kabbalah deals with this. But we're coming from Hasidus, which is Kabbalah light. It's not heavy Kabbalah. The, the Tanya I would call heavy Kabbalah. The Shemish is light Kabbalah. This Kabbalah, but light. So in the light version, um, which is really very close to halacha, which that we're focusing on our perception of, of the unity of Hashem with the world. Yes, there, on one level, there's always unity, but the, the issue is perception. How, how do, do we perceive it? So clearly, there's a much, much greater perception of the unity of Hashem with the world Shabbos than it is during the week. Shabbos is Yom Menucha. And then if you dive in Hasidish, you say a little piece of Zohar, which we say before marriage. It says, Rosa de Echot, that Shabbos is the spirit of one. Okay. Yeah, I'll call you back later. Yeah. So the, uh, the secret of one. The unity of Hashem and the world is much more um, much more apparent and much more perceptible by people who keep shops. If you keep shops, you have this like feeling that I'm connected to Hashem very much. That's the manucha, that's what you call the, the, the sense of harmony. When you feel connected to Hashem, you have more of a harmony. Manucha. Shabbos, well, Shabbos, well, manucha. So that's Shabbos. Shabbos is the Rosh Hashanah. It's the idea of unity of God, of the God in the world, the Jew being one, and um, and so it's based on Mikdash, the same thing. Based on Mikdash is also that's already in place. And Makkum, you know, regular places I don't sense Hashem so much, but in the Mishkan, 
I do. So that's the difference. Being in the base medrash versus being on the street. Just here in this little uh, bubble, if you're in the base medrash, you have one sense of spirituality. Strong. You go a little bit out of the base medrash, go out of the building. You're in the outside in the square. You don't feel that same level of connection to Hashem as you do when you're in the base medrash. You open up the safe and the Torah is even more of a sense, sense of a perception that I'm closer to Hashem, even more spiritual. So, uh, so Migdash, Mishkan Migdash is the place of unity with Hashem. So, so now let's let's. Um, Um, so it says like this uh, he writes this was discussed once before that the Mishkan comes up twice in the Torah in Tumat Tzavah right after the service of the Vos and again in Vayakel after the Egel even though everything seems to be identical but it's completely different uh, concept, Shemishmuel says. The one is the Mishkan after the Aseris Hadivos, and the other is the Mishkan after the Ego. So, in the other discussion that we had, that's what we were talking about, finding Hashem from a high level. Aseris Hadivos is a very high level of spirituality. You go even higher, that's the Mishkan. And sometimes the opposite, very, very far away from Hashem, Egal, terrible. And from there you find Hashem, you get a Mishkan. Because you, you get a Mishkan or a connection to Hashem or awareness of Hashem's presence from the high level. You know, just I'm high, so I go higher. It's like for that the Mishkan of inspiration. Inspiration. And then you have a Mishkan coming from complete failure so far away from Hashem you, you just use that that desire to find him to uh, to break out and to find him I said that the, actually the two psukim one plus six says the shechno sid yushu uvas Hashem it says look for Hashem and you'll find him and there's another psuk that says Vikashtem Misham Mes Hashem Lokecha Ki Sidushenu Bechol Levavcha Bechol Nafshach It's a much more excruciating and uh, emotional Pasuk it says you will, you will search for God from where you are search and you will find him if you search with all your heart and your soul in other words, the first pasuk means that you're already very high and you just have to maybe walk around the block to get to the Mishkan, but you're already very high. And that's going to get you to the Mishkan. The second pasuk says you're very, very low and you work very hard because you feel so miserable. You work with all your heart and might and then you'll get to the Mishkan. That's the second Mishkan. It's the Mishkan after the Egel. It's really the two Mishkanas. 
Is that's what the Shemesh will discuss is back in an earlier Pasha. But in this Pasha, based on that, he says something else. He says that in the in the Pasha of Tum and Tetzava, here the Pasuk uses an expression of people who donate. It says, Kol Ish Every single person who has a generous heart will give donations for the Mishkan. It says, Kol Ish, every person. And this week's Pasha doesn't use that expression, every person. It just says, Nedivle, people are generous, will give. And then the Pasha begins with Vayakel. He gathered them all together. So the, what the Shemesh wants to say is that the first Mishkan, the Jews were such a high level that ten seven the Dibrot, that every single individual Jew on his or her own was ready to, to create the Mishkan. Call Ish, every person of Shed Ben Libo. That's why the Pasuk says originally, it says, Asuli Megdash Shachanti Betocham. The division of Chuma, God says, let them make the Megdash, I will be. And that means every single one. It means that the first Mishkan was really the product of each Yachid, each individual. So that 600,000 individuals gave in a Master Shekel, but it was really a product of the individual because they were so high in their level of spirituality, each one could, on his or her own, could be the one to create the Mishkan, God's presence. However, after the Egel, the individuals lost that ability. There was a very big drop. Only when you put the Jews together, the Tzibur, they can create the Mishkan after the Egel. That's why it doesn't mention each person. It just says, Vayakel, or she gathers everybody, it says you as a, a group of Israel, as a nation, you can build the Mishkan. So it's the Mishkan of the Tzibur, not reach Yacht. That's a big difference. It's a major difference. Okay. Now, Unity among the nation. Unity among the nation is what creates the mission. Uh, Feel free to go. Thank you. Um, okay. So the um, Shabbos, as we said. I heard it says by Yakel Moshe gathered the nation and tells them about Shabbos. Shabbos, as we said, it creates the unity between Hashem and the world, but it also creates the unity of the Jewish people. Shabbos creates unity in Hashem, the world, and the Jewish people. So within the Jewish people, so since since this new Mishkan has to be a product of the Jewish people, the power of Shabbos is what's going to give them that unity to build the Mishkan. Okay, now, let's understand what was going on with the Egel. The big question is Aaron. Mm-hmm. What did Aaron do? 
Why, why did he take all the gold, throw it into the fire, and make the, the, the calf? The Gemara and Sanhedrin. Yeah, that, yeah. Right, the Gemara and Sanhedrin. So, Shem Shmuel has his shot. Which is, which, is, which is pretty mainstream, I would say. Uh, so the Bart says, like, but he's coming with this idea. The, the idea is Jewish unity. So the Aserus of Divros created an amazing level of Jewish unity. Now, really, he says a very interesting point. He says that um, he says, he says like this, a human being is, is within himself or herself is a united entity. Every part of the body is united to the other parts of the body and they somehow work together. And when when the person dies, then the body falls apart. So what keeps the body united? The life force, the neshama. As long as there's a neshama, there's a life force that keeps the body united as a single entity. The moment the neshama goes away, there's no life force, then the body falls apart. Now the same thing is true about the Jewish people as a nation. What keeps the Jewish people a united entity? Have a life force. Have a certain neshama, which everybody is living in this neshama that unites us. Otherwise, the life force goes away, we fall apart. One of the main problems today with the Jewish people falling apart, even in this world, people thought that the state of Israel would be a life force which would unify the nation. It did for about 75 years. But today it's no longer. So as, a, as an asham of, of the Jewish people in Israel, the, 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 the Jewish state died, the asham left. That's why the, right now the country is in utter disarray. Because they don't have a, a unifying life force. Some people have the Torah, and the other people have something new. They call it democracy. I don't know what that is because I don't believe in their thing. But they have a, a different life force, democracy. So therefore, since there's no there's no single life force, the nation is disunited completely. Very same thing in America. Some Jews have the Torah, and not some Jews also have something. I don't know what it is. They don't even have. They don't seem to have anything left as a life force because they're literally dying as, a, as Jews. There's no, they said the numbers of Jewish children are just like, like 90% of Jewish children are only from the religious, the non-religious. No, there's almost no more non-religious Jewish children in the country anymore. So, because that part of the Jewish people in, in America has lost its life force, it's lost its neshama, therefore it dies. Like, like a body, a body without a neshama will die, so. Uh, you have to have something which unifies, which gives you this life force, and that creates unity. If you don't have it, it dies. 
So the Jews who got the Sevesadivas left Egypt, got the Sevesadivas, their life force was Moshe Rabbeinu. He gave them the Neshama. Because he did everything. He, he brought Hashem. So through him, Hashem was the life force of the people, and they left Egypt, they did the Red Sea, they did the Ten Commandments. All of this was the energy which they got from Hashem. But that energy was through Moshe. So Moshe was the Neshama. So like I said, there's the Jewish people, all the 600,000 plus people, that's the goof of Am Yisrael who left Mitzrayim. And where is the Neshama? The Neshama was Moshe Rabbeinu. He was the Neshama. So now we understand what happened by the ego. What happened was he he was the Neshama, but then he went up for 40 days. Okay, technically the problem was he didn't come back after 40 days, but the real problem, the Shem Yishmur says, he wasn't in this world anymore. During these 40 days, he was more in heaven than here. Maybe his body was there someplace on the mountain, but he was in some kind of uh, prophetic uh, trance, which put him into heaven. He was dealing with Hashem and the angels, and he was all the things going on in heaven. So he really wasn't here. So his life force wasn't uh, operating and the Jewish people that his life was fell apart this is a very interesting mashal he says that according to halacha halacha says that as long as the body is alive it's toha the body dies it gets tomas mace because the, the, the Hasidic concept is that some uh, Jewish body has Kedusha. So as long as it's alive, the Kedusha is there. When it dies, the life force and the Shama leaves, the Guf, which was the receptacle of Kedusha, now gets all the evil forces coming in. Evil replaces Kedusha, and now you get Tumma, which is the worst of all the Tumas. Tumas mess is the worst of all the Tumas because the body had so much Kedusha now that there's no more Kedusha gets replaced by Tumma. So that's what happened to Jewish people since Moshe Rabbeinu was there in the Shama. He left, so Tumma came in. So all the evil, first of all, they became completely disunited. Some people said, let's stay loyal to Moshe. Some people said, let's go back to Egypt. And some people said, let's make an idol. All different kinds of theories. Because the Tumma got in there. So that was the cause of this thing, the ego. The big problem was disunity. The Jewish people fell apart. Yes. So what 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 was keeping Bnei uh, Israel together in Israel in the past 75 years? Like the what life left? force of the belief in the state of Israel as a Jewish state. That was the Neshama? As a Jewish, that was in Neshama. To be identified as a Jew, that's a certain level of that they, the identity of being Jewish, being honest, but that identity, that connection. Both Israel's government and their Jewish body is more religious or even more Jewish than it's ever been. Today, that's what the other side is objecting to. That's why the other side is demonstrating and threatening to destroy the country. They're even asking the Arabs to attack Israel. 
But why is that? They don't identify with the religious life force. So then what about it was as Jewish? As far as the Jewish life force that they've abandoned. They say they don't want the Jewish country. They want to have a, a democratic country for all people. Jews, Arabs, Christians, blacks from Africa. They, that, they say we no longer believe in a Jewish state. We only want democratic. So they abandoned that. Jewish life force. They want to come up with a new life force, which is not Jewish. So uh, this other life force, which is really a Gaisha life force, it's good for America, it's good for Russia, but it's not good for Jews in Israel. Israel the Jewish people and the country of Israel can only exist with a Jewish neshama. Once you replace the Jewish neshama with a non-Jewish neshama, as the fourth, then it's, it's the end. So what happened now is, this was this has been simmering below the surface. But what happened was that the uh, the, the original Jewish life force, which was to have a Jewish country, united everybody at the beginning, and uh, the country, the people, basically united for seventy-five years. But what happened over the last, let's say, 20 years or so, maybe a little bit more, 30 years, is that half the country started to disbelieve in the Jewish identity of the country as being the life force. They replaced it with, uh, with, with non-Jewish energy. They said, we want to be like America. Being there should be a complete, like, separate church and state. I completely separate church and state. And then they created, they were in power basically, this group, and they created the Supreme Court judicial system to make sure that that's the way it goes. So the last 20 plus years, the Supreme Court of Israel keeps on making decision after decision after decision against the Jewish state and only a democratic state. So they made multiple, multiple decisions like that. And but what happened was so so. Meanwhile, it, the country's going along, but uh, but what happened was that the religious part of the country, the population, is getting more and more and more. They're just multiplying much more than the other parts. See more kids. Yeah, double, triple the amount of kids. So let's say the other part of the country. Is averaging three, and the religious part of the country is averaging seven, more than twice. So by now, people go to the age of 18. So the numbers of the people, because of the uh, birth rate, reached already the, the, the tilting point, or the turning point that this now government became the first government in the history of Israel with the religious parties control the majority of the government. So therefore this government already started and is going to, wants to do much, much more with the Torah Jewish uh, life force. But the other side, which over the last 20, 30 years has just completely abandoned it. They, just, they don't want even Jewish. They don't want any, anything Jewish. They just want non-Jewish, so for them it's a disaster because it's not their not their vision. It's not they don't identify, they don't want 
they say black and white, we do not want the Jewish state. We do not want the religious state. So, so for them, and but they had this Supreme Court justice set up as like a fail-proof guarantee because the way it was set up was that the Supreme Court can overrule anything the government does. So whatever the government has been doing for 20 years, the Supreme Court kept on overruling them. So you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do that. And pushing, pushing, pushing. It's democratic, not Jewish. So that's why the government which came in now, which is very Jewish, says they're going to cut down the Supreme Court, they're going to change the laws, but the Supreme Court does not have the power to overrule the government. The government can overrule the Supreme Court. That's what they want to do. So the side which doesn't want the Jewish state is going berserk because it's the end of their, their life. Their life is not Jewish. But the, and this government is saying the life of this country is Jewish. Therefore, we have to concur, curtail Supreme Court, which is the power, the ultimate power today in Israel is the Supreme Court. They overrule everything. They even took over control of every little decision. They put what they call a legal advisor in every ministry. The advisor is the one who decides what the policy is. The minister recommends, and the legal advisor, Supreme Court, says yes or no. So they can keep on saying no about the religious Jewish things. So therefore, this government wants to change, and that's what the big fight. So, uh, I don't. I, I mean, I, as a believer, I believe that the Jewish side will will ultimately succeed. Whether it's going to happen now or ten years from now, but I can't imagine that Shem brought us back to Israel to have a temporary Jewish state, but then turning into a non-Jewish. Democracy, Gaisha states, it doesn't make any sense to me. I can't believe that Shem did that. I also can't believe that such a so called democratic non Jewish state will last. I think it will be wiped out pretty quickly by the Arabs. Because so I think that the reason we've been here, Shem has done a lot of miracles uh, protecting us, but I don't think we would do it for a non Jewish state. So I don't think it's going to. So I don't think. So I don't think uh, it's going to happen. I think that this that this government. I hope that I hope. I also I really think that this government will be able to turn around and and bring back the Jewish neshama to the country, including the ones fighting right now. I don't know what that's. I I don't that I don't know. Will they? in other words, once this government, let's say this government successfully puts the Supreme Court in place and says the government is more powerful, and, they, and then they start making their decisions for the Jewish character of the state, uh, what would the other side do? The side which is, which will have been defeated in terms of the country, what will they do? No, will they defeat possibilities? One possibility is that they'll do tshuva, that they'll accept at least this level the way they accepted it, let's say, for the first 40 or so years, that it is a Jewish state, and that's what 
So we are, we got on we got on board with the Jewish state. If today the Jewish state means more Shabbos, kosher, you know, kosher marriages. So good, and we accept it. So they'll do tshuva. Doesn't mean that they'll necessarily be keeping Shabbos, but they'll accept the idea that we're back in the Jewish state. And and because of the birth rate, so the religious Jews are now having more to say about things, and they'll accept it just. Like the religious Jews accepted the secular Jews running the country for the first six, seventy-five years. So they'll accept that the religious Jews are now making more decisions and making the country more religious. The reason that they'll be part of it because it's a Jewish state and they believe in the Jewish state. So that's one possibility. It's not really accepting. It's just more like they don't have a choice. Meaning, because there's right. So, so they, they, if they want to live in the country, they will necessarily accept it. If this, the, the government succeeds. Uh, or they'll say, I don't want to stay in this kind of a country. I, I don't believe in this anymore, and I don't I want to have a regular non-Jewish democracy, so they will leave. They'll leave. Third possibility, which should be a terrible possibility, is that they'll try to make some kind of revolution and you know, push it towards some kind of a civil war, which is... Oh, not impossible because we had this a few times in Jewish history. We had a civil war between Malchus Yehud and Malchus Yisrael. They had a civil war at the Egel, Moshe the Levium fighting the other Jews. So we had a civil war at the Egel. We had a civil war between the, the, the kingdom of Israel, Yerav and Benavat, and the kingdom of Rechavam, Yehuda. It was a big war. And then we had a civil war. And, by Cheney between the Misyavnam and Hashmanoyim. So it's not unheard of that Jews have been so split. And Shemesh was explaining that it's because the life force which unites us, which is the Torah, Moshe, goes away. So if you get away, Jews become very split. It's happened quite a few times. Always in this situation. So that, God forbid, would be the worst possible outcome over here, because that itself could lead to the the end of Israel. If it turns into a civil war level kind of things, people shooting one another, stuff like that, that would be terrible. That definitely could be the very end of Israel. So that we hope and pray will never be. It I feel like, be, like right? a super majority of both sides don't want that. So like, I feel like that's very... Unlikely, right. right. Right now you have like the extremists on both sides dominating the news, but as he says, the supermajority doesn't want civil war, and either this, if the government succeeds, so then everybody, the supermajority will say, it's a Jewish state, and we're living with it. The government doesn't succeed, I don't think, I can't see the other side, which was in control with the Supreme Court succeeding. I really don't see them succeeding today because the Supreme Court has made so many decisions against basic uh, Torah, Jewish values that it's, unless the Supreme Court will decide to change, but they, they very clearly don't want to change. I don't see how we can I can't say how the other side can win, because, for example, one of the Supreme Court says is, we want to remove, they already decided, it's only a question of a few more months, they gave like 50 deadlines 
and now it's supposed it's like the last deadline. They want to get rid of any exemptions for any Banani Yeshiva from going to the army. They want to make a universal every single boy eighteen must go to the army upon a bridge. We are all these hundreds of thousands of boys if they don't go to the army, and they said they must go to the army, so that's like a life and death issue. That world is never going to give in on the army. But now that we, now that they have the power, and the Supreme Court's insisting that they must go to the army, it's, there's no compromise possible. Both the Supreme Court is saying that any new housing in the settlements they decide yes or no, and they've been blowing up hundreds of houses over these years. And this, for the settlers, it's also a life and death issue. They can't compromise on that. They can't say some group of people who don't believe in settlements and believe in the, in the democracy, non-Jewish country, can tell us not to live in Israel, because our basic mitzvah is to live in a place in Israel. And, they blow up our houses like they did the Gush Katsir. They took 10,000 people out of their homes and blew it up. The Supreme Court did that. So, settlers, once they have power, as they're in the government, Wasn't really they're the never going to give it up. Are there There's any, no compromise on this. Are there any big halachic issues with, with the settlements? The only issue is if the nation of Israel is ready to fight for it, like everything else in Israel. Because the Arabs threaten, and uh, you're saying that those lands which are part of ancient Israel warrant military defense, or you're saying no, only Tel Aviv. I'm saying on the side of the of the settlers, are they doing anything halakhically wrong by by settling there? No, the only thing, the only issue is. Uh, like they These are just, settlements they are, create um, mean, security problems for the country. They are just going to land and like parking themselves in land that they don't own. Oh, you're getting into like a detailed uh, on the spot problem. So that's like a detail. That's not really the problem. The problem is that the settlers and their whole community, they believe in settling the whole land to the level of any other piece of land. So they say we're settling this area of Shamron, the way you settled Jerusalem, the way you settled Tel Aviv. It's the exact same mitzvah. They don't see any difference. And uh, the ones who not, don't believe in a Jewish state, just believe in a democratic state, say, there's no reason to settle those lands because they're basically Arab and they're creating security problems for us. So let's get it back to the Arabs and uh, they're secular like settlers. They're like the settlers are very anti-settlers uh, overall. Secular here and there, there's some secular settlers. I'm not saying no, but that this community which is fighting for the Supreme Court and for the democratic state. They're very clearly anti-settlement because it doesn't fit into the concept mm -hmm. of a secular democratic state. This mm -hmm. is different land, and the Arabs are there now, so the Jews, they consider it taking away land from Arabs. They consider it, they basically buy in today into the Arab claim that it's 
aggression and colonialism against the Palestinian people, which almost all the democracies in the world say, including the United States, England, France, they all say that, that settlers are violating the rights of the Palestinians. So these Jewish Israeli who, who buy into the democratic uh, foundation of, of present Israel agree with that, that it's colonialism, it's, uh, you shouldn't do it. So they should, they want to, they, they literally want to have no new settlements, but even more, they would be very happy to, to blow up all the settlements, like they blew up the Gush Katif when they did that, which they took 10,000 people, destroyed all the settlements of maybe two dozen communities, cities. They're very happy to do that. So it's very fundamental. So therefore, once the settlers got into the government at this level, can't ever see them giving this up. For them, it's life and death, and it's religious life and death. They consider this mitzvah level. And the guys who are sitting and learning and don't want to go to the army, they consider that also mitzvah. So you don't have any... There's no chance whatsoever that this government, the way it is, will, will back down from the, these most very fundamental things. And right now, the other side doesn't want to back down either, because for them it's a danger. They, by now, they, they've completely, in many ways, gone away from the Jewish concept of the state. So they don't want this. So right now, I don't know if there's any... So I, I personally think what's happened, what will happen is that the government will push it through. There'll be a lot of demonstrations, and at the end, everybody will say, like you say, the vast majority want to have a country. They don't want to have no country. So the vast majority will come around to, to this. And that was, that's, I think that's a practical thing, but I think from a religious point of view, Hashem brought us back. He's not going to kick us out again. There's only, um, in our uh, Masova, there's only three times he comes to Israel as a nation. And the third is the, is the Mashiach level. So it looks like this is a Mashiach level because we already have about 50% of the Jews and all these people come about. has been fulfilled. The only group left is basically America, everybody. Other countries basically emptied out. And um, so we have all these symptoms being fulfilled. And I also think the fact that now the state of Israel got a government which is very religious for the first time is also predicted by the Torah that we'll come back to Israel and it says, oh, you'll do chupa. Since the whole passion itself and that Hashem says, I'll bring you back. And after you come back, you'll do tshuva. Shavah Hashem, Hashem, I'll bring you back. Meaning there's going to be time in between. Right. You read those psukim in the tzavim, it's almost uh, it's, uh, very clear that the stages, and that one stage is we come back, and then after we come back, then there's tshuva. So, so I think that that's... Uh, Without my, okay, so I think we're, we're, it's a good 
it's a, it's, a, it's a tough, but basically it's a good point. And as Shemesh was saying, is that Shabbos is the soul of the Jewish people. The Mishkan is the soul of the Jewish people. So it's replacing Moshe. Moshe left, and that's why the Jewish people fell apart. But when he comes back, he says, let's rebuild. But I want to rebuild the nation with things which will outlast me. Not, don't depend on me. Let's focus on Shabbos. Let's focus on the Mishkan. And, 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 and what the Shem Mishmul says is, he didn't say it, but we'll focus on Torah, and Moshe Rabbeinu was to always be teaching us the Torah. So we'll have the life force of the Shabbos, the life force of Mishkan, and the life force of Moshe Rabbeinu in the Torah. In this way, the Jewish people will be forever, and we won't fall apart. Amen. Thank you very much. Thanks, Ralph.